You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio, and it's a part of a new series entitled Chain Breaker. So Chain Breaker is his name. Jesus has come to set us free. But the reality is a lot of us are in the building, but we're still not living free. And I just want you to know today the enemy is fine with Jesus being in the area as long as the enemy still has a hold on your life. The enemy's fine with us being at church today as long as the enemy still has a hold on your life. He's fine with us singing the songs, lifting our hands, shouting amen, as long as he still has a hold on us. And for a lot of us, this has become normal life. I was blown away reading the story of a Japanese soldier in the Pacific in World War II. His name is Haru Onada, and I want to tell you briefly his story, and there's a lot of complexity to it, so I want to read a little bit of his story for you. On December 26, 1944, Hiru Onada was sent to Lubang Island in the Philippines. He was ordered to do all he could to hamper enemy attacks on the island, including destroying the airstrip and the pier in the harbor. His orders also stated that under no circumstances was he to surrender or take his life. He landed on February 28, 1945, and within a short period of time, all but three other soldiers had either died or surrendered. So Onada, who'd been promoted to lieutenant, ordered the men to take to the hills. Onada continued his campaign as a Japanese holdout, initially living in the mountains with three fellow soldiers. During his stay, Onada and his companions carried out guerrilla activities and engaged in several shootouts with police. The first time they saw a leaflet announcing that Japan had surrendered was October 1945. Another cell had killed a cow and found a leaflet left behind by islanders which read, the war ended on August 15th, come down from the mountains. However, key phrase, they distrusted the leaflet. They concluded that the leaflet was an a a scheme of allied propaganda, and they also believed that they would not have been fired on had the war indeed been over. Toward the end of 1945, leaflets were dropped by air with a surrender order printed on them from General Yamashita of the 14th Area Army. They had been in hiding for over a year, and this leaflet was the only evidence that they had that the war was over. Onada's group looked very closely at the leaflet to determine whether it was genuine. But the three soldiers and Onada concluded that this was a trick. Skirmishes took place and the other three soldiers over time were killed. Onada was left alone. Then on February 20th, 1974, 
Onada met a Japanese man named Noriko Suzuki who was traveling around the world looking for, quote, and I'm just telling you the story, looking for, quote, Lieutenant Onada, a wild panda, and the abominable snowman in that order, end quote. Suzuki found Onada after four days of searching. Onada and Suzuki became friends, but Onada still refused to surrender, saying he was waiting for orders from a superior officer. Suzuki then returned to Japan with photographs of himself and Onada as proof of their encounter, and the Japanese government located Onada's commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Tamaguchi, who had since become a bookseller. So they go to Barnes and Noble. They get this guy, Tanaguchi, and they say, you got to go back to the Philippines. He flew to Lubang, where on March the 9th, 1974, he finally met with Onada and fulfilled the promise he made in 1944, quote, whatever happens, we'll come back for you, end quote. Onada was thus properly relieved of duty, and he surrendered. He turned over his sword, his rifle, his 500 rounds of ammunition, and several hand grenades, as well as a dagger his mother had given him in 1944 to kill himself with if he was ever captured. 29 years after the war was over, Onada finally stepped into the reality of that truth. And I wonder today at Passion City Church, How many of us really are living like over 2,000 years ago, the war ended, Jesus was victorious, and he is offering for us the possibility today of living fearless and living free? I wonder how many of us are still up in the hills, even though leaflets are coming down from heaven. We're like, I don't know if I can trust that. I'm not really sure if I can believe in that. I'm not really sure if that's for me, and we are still living as though the war hasn't been won. But we're announcing today the war is over, people. Christ is victorious, and he is the chain breaker who has come to set you and me free. And the chain we're starting with today is the one that's already bubbling up in somebody's heart, and it is the chain of doubt. Like, I don't know where we're going in this series, but I'm not sure it's going to work. You don't even know what God said yet, but I'm not sure it's going to work. I don't even know what chains we're talking about, but I'm not really sure it's going to work because I have a perspective on life that makes me doubt whether or not it's possible to come down from the hills, to to turn in my weapons, to realize I just need to surrender to what Christ has already won for me and start walking like a son or a daughter of God in his truth. And that's the possibility today for you and the possibility for me. In Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration happened. Jesus took some of his followers on a high hill. He appeared there with Elijah and Moses. Glory fell on the hill. And when Jesus came down from the hill and returned to his other followers, we find the story unfolding in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And if you have your scripture, I want you to read this text with me. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. 
A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus is perplexed and a little bit perturbed in verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Now, if you're just buzzing through the Gospels, you're just going to read that. But if you're meditating in the text, you're going to go like, that makes no sense to me at all. A boy has been thrown down on the ground by an evil spirit. He is writhing around on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turns away from the boy and looks at the dad and said, how long has your son been like this? I mean, don't you think Jesus would have just gone, whoa, we're not going to go one more second with this nonsense. But Jesus turns to the father. And he asked the father a question. How long has he been like this? The reason he did that's important. I don't want us to miss it today. It's not all about Jesus coming into the world, snapping his finger, and destroying the works of the enemy. Jesus is inviting the father into the story, and he's inviting you into the story today. Because how the father Responds and how you and I respond are going to be key in whether or not we experience the chain breaker in our lives. So the father tells him he's been like this from the very beginning. And then the father goes on to say to him, um, it's, it's the same way uh, from the very beginning. And then he says, uh, at times he's thrown him into fire or into to the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, Jesus was meek and mild and all that good stuff, but he also got irritated and he's getting irritated right now. He says, if you can, can you see him looking around at his disciples? Because they couldn't. And he's like, if you can, if you can. Is everybody hearing that? If you can, if you can, can you take pity on him and take pity on us, and can you help us? And Jesus says, if you can, and then he comes with this amazing opening to you and me today. Everything, he says to the Father, is possible for him who believes. What an amazing paradox. He, he says, the thing that's aggravating me right now in this text is not the power of the enemy, I'm not aggravated by the enemy's power in the life of this little boy. What's aggravating me right now is the unbelief of the people around me. He said, I'm not, I'm not like, oh my goodness, the boy's on the ground. He's, he's foaming at the mouth. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I am so tired of these evil spirits. How long am I going to have to put up with these evil spirits? How long do I have to suffer all this nonsense? No, he looks at the people and says, how long do I have to put up with unbelief, because everything is possible to him who believes. 
Not to the one who knows the most about the Bible, not to the one who's been in church the longest, not to the one who feels like they've got it all together, or even to the one who feels like they've really messed it up. No, everything's possible, not to the person who came from the right family or blah, blah, blah. Everything's possible to the person who believes. So the key word in this whole series is going to be, do you believe? Do you believe what God can do. If you look at the text just for a moment and you do a rewind, I don't know if you have a phone, this isn't going to work very good, but if you have a, a actually ink on a page, you'll be able to do this with me. Just look really quickly backwards a little ways. Chapter eight, we're just going to look at the headings. Middle of chapter eight, he heals the blind man at Bethsaida. So a blind man has just gotten sight. Jesus spit on him and put his hands on his eyes. That doesn't sound super cool, but if you're blind and you can see, you don't mind that. It's pretty amazing. It says at the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus fed the 4,000. It says right above that that he healed a deaf and a mute man. He literally touched his tongue and said, open up, and the guy could talk who couldn't talk. If you look back a little before that, there was a Syrophoenician woman whose, whose child was impacted by an evil spirit, and she didn't think she had a right into the people of God, and Jesus went across religious lines. He gave freedom to her child. If you look a little bit above that, Jesus is walking on water at the end of chapter six in the middle of a storm. He says, take courage, it's I. And here he comes walking out on the water. If you just look a few pages, um, a few paragraphs beyond that, if you're still looking, it says Jesus fed the 5,000. Then John the Baptist got beheaded. Let's skip over that. Um, And then if you keep looking back to the end of chapter five, a dead girl and a sick woman were both touched by the power of God. Jairus' daughter was healed who had died, and the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, and she was made whole after no one could help her. If you look to the beginning of chapter 5, there was a healing of a demon-possessed man. This man lived among the tombs across Galilee and broke all the chains off of him because of the evil spirits that lived in him, and Jesus healed that man, ruined a pig farmer's crock, but that's beside the point, healed this man. If you look right above that, Jesus calmed the storm, sleeping in a boat. His disciples woke him up. Don't you care? We're going to drown. He spoke to the wind and he spoke to the waves and he said, peace be still. If you look back a little further and just keep turning the pages, you can see the power of God time and time again. He heals a paralytic at the beginning of chapter two when they busted a hole in the roof and lowered their friend on a mat. He heals a man with leprosy at the end of chapter one. And as you move back into the beginning of chapter one, he heals many, many people. And above that, in Capernaum, drives out an evil spirit and tells it to come out and to free the man. Jesus is saying, I don't know, guys. I think I have a pretty good track record here. I think we've done some amazing things. And I cannot believe that by now you can't believe that there is kingdom power to those who have faith and confidence in who I am and what I can do. And I believe, you know, if we're really honest today, he's saying that to you and me. He's saying, how many times we got to go around this story where I will come through for you? But somehow, even though I come through for you, the next time we face a challenge, 
The default is doubt. Oh, I'll take a flyer occasionally on faith. Okay, I'm going to pray about it. Oh, I might actually believe God can do something. I'm going to take a flyer here and actually lean into the word of God. But our default so many times is doubt. A lot of us come from doubt. A lot of us come from unbelief. A lot of us come from negativism or pessimism or glass half empty mindsets. But I think we're talking about something deeper than that. I think we're talking about that root of unbelief. That, that, that root cause that probably is at the root of every other chain we're going to talk about in this gathering. That root that is even raising up its head right now saying, this message isn't going to make a difference in terms of setting you free. But I want you to know that even if your mama was like that, and even if your grandmama was like that, if all the Wilson girls have been just like that, And your story so far is, that's just how the Wilson girls are. We got it from great-grandma down to grandma down to mom, and that's just kind of the way it is with the Wilson girls. I'm telling you, A, if you're a Wilson girl, I don't know where I got Wilson, so I'd start taking notes for the rest of the talk if you're a Wilson girl. But what I want you to know is it doesn't matter what the circumstance or where you come from, God has been moving and orchestrating things to set you free. God has been moving through history to do two things, to bring you back home with God where you belong and to give back to you what the enemy has stolen from you. God's been moving through history to set you free and to bring you back home to where you belong with him and to give back to you what the enemy has stolen from your life. And we see this all through the story of Jesus and we even see it in the prophecy that leads up to him. Isaiah 45 is a powerful example. In Isaiah 45, the people of God are in bondage in Babylon. You know the story. Nebuchadnezzar, he destroys the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple, the place of worship, takes the best and the brightest off to Babylon, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that story. All these are the captives of Israel taken into bondage in Babylon. They are those who God had gifted to be a light to his people in the world. But now, check it out, because some of you are in this exact place. They're using the very gifts God gave them to build up somebody else's empire, somebody else's kingdom, maybe even a kingdom opposed to the kingdom of God. But God sees them. Because God is committed to his people and God always has a freedom plan. And so here they are now in Babylon. Here the temple is in ruins. Jerusalem has been upended and it looks like the plans and the promise of God have all come to nothing. But God has a plan. And can I tell you, even if your Jerusalem is dark today, even if your temple and place of worship has been mowed down, and even if you have been dragged off into captivity, your God still sees you and he still has a freedom plan for you today. And it's probably going to look different than what you think. And this one certainly did. Isaiah 45, it begins like this. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. Well, who is his anointed? To Cyrus. 
You're like, who is Cyrus? Cyrus is the ruler of Persia. And Persia is gaining might and power. But for Cyrus to become the guy, he's got to take down Babylon. And so out of the east comes Cyrus in all the Persian might to take on the power and the might of Babylon. God is choosing to organize history in such a way that his people will know that he has a freedom plan for them. Cyrus, check this verse out, whose right hand I take hold of. Now, by the way, Cyrus wasn't signing up for a Jesus mission. He just happened to be king in a world where God is sovereign. And he happened to be in power in a moment like every moment in time where God is in charge of the world. And so we can never count God out at any moment, at any time, at any place, because God is sovereignly delivering his people. I'm going to take him by the right hand to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. God is going to cut through your iron bars. And he is going to bring you home with him free and give you back what the enemy has stolen from your life. If you let him and if you follow him, if you lean toward him, he is going to accomplish this very same freedom work in your life because he's just foretelling the work of what Jesus is going to do. You know, we don't uh, dig around in Ezra a lot, but if you look over to Ezra, which you don't need to turn there because you won't get there and back by the time we're done. But if you turn to Ezra chapter one, maybe some of you are like, hey, don't count me out. I know all the books of the Bible in order. So great. Turn there really fast then. If not, just let me read it for you. This is what it says in Ezra one. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill, listen to this word, fulfill the word the Lord spoke by Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. And this is what the king of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with you. And let him go up to Jerusalem, to Judah, and build the temple of the Lord. So he moves this man into place in Babylon. Babylon falls. He frees the people, writes a decree. If you love God and want to serve God in Jerusalem, we're going to go back and we're going to rebuild your temple. Here is Cyrus rebuilding the house of God in Jerusalem because God has a freedom plan. And then it says in verse seven, moreover, if that wasn't enough, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the temple of his God. 
Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought uh, by the treasurer who counted them out to the prince of Judah. And this was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Gold pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Um, matching silver bowls, uh, got to have matching bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver brought out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. And Jesus is writing his own decree today. He's saying, I want to cut through the iron bars and I will take down every gate of bronze. I'm going to set my people free and I'm going to bring you home to be where God intended you to be. And I am going to return to you everything the enemy stole from your life. Just like Joel said, I'm going to give back what the locusts have eaten in your life. But we got to start, Jesus says, with unbelief. In Mark 9, the Father says, if you can, it would be amazing if you had mercy on us and if you helped him. And Jesus said, everything's possible to him who believes. And then listen to what the boy's father said in verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, and I believe this is just real talk. I, this is just... To me, it speaks to humanity. It's real talk. It's not, oh, I, of course I believe. Yes, I believe. Oh, yes, I believe. I'm sure I believe. That's why I'm here. I believe. This is real talk, and I think you and I can relate to it. He says, I do believe, but look at this honest confession. Help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that where we all are today? God, I do believe in you, but in this area, I'm struggling. I do believe in who you are, but this particular thing, I just can't see my way through it. I do worship you, but I sort of resigned myself a long time ago to believing that this gate of bronze, this one ain't going down. So God, I, I do believe, but would, would you help my unbelief? And so we come to the most important question today, then how does Jesus break the chain of doubt? How does he break the chain of unbelief? And we see that fall out of the rest of this text. So when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed the boy violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, Mark says, that many said about him, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the crowd was pressing in. He slips out of the way, gets inside the house. His disciples ask him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So if we ask the question, how does Jesus set us free from every chain, but especially the chain of doubt and unbelief? The answer is really clear and broad by his triumph and by his truth. He has conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave. We know that he has the keys to death and to Hades, but he also has spoken truth. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
In other words, there's not a magic formula. There's not some sort of mysterious code here. There's not like a little leaflet that you haven't gotten yet. It's Christ triumphing over death, hell, sin, and the grave. It's an empty tomb and a risen Lord seated and exalted. And it is the words of truth that Jesus has put in our hands that set us free. But it's whether or not today the rhythm of our lives is operating in the triumph and the truth of Jesus. And for that to happen, we got to get this very last verse. This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you hear that verse, but does anybody old school believer in the house today, anybody been around like 30 years, 40 years, or maybe even right now, does anybody got King James popping up in your mind right now? Anybody King KJV? I don't know if I can call it that or not. The King James Version. In the King James Version, as soon as I read this text, my mind read the words on my page, which say only by prayer, but my spirit added on the King James Version, which says only by, say it with me if you're KJV, only by prayer and fasting. Wow, we got a church crowd here at 1145 Cumberland. This is crazy. Only by prayer and fasting. Now, why is there a difference? Because there's a little bit of a variation in the manuscripts in this phrase. And when you hear that, people say, oh, that's what makes me nervous about the Bible. No, it doesn't say by prayer or you need to have a Whopper every Thursday. It's not like that kind of variation. It's prayer or prayer and fasting. And the King James, which is a very reliable translation, by the way, picked up the manuscripts that include the phrase fasting. And I don't want to take liberties with the text at all, but I want to add that phrase today because I believe there's power in it in the phrase This can only happen by prayer and fasting. And if I can just be as clear as possible, the chain of unbelief and doubt is only going to be broken by prayer and fasting. In fact, every chain that's on your life is going to be broken by prayer and fasting. Like, no, 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 I don't want prayer and fasting. I wonder, when is the seminar? I I don't, prayer and fasting, great. Is there an app? Just text it to me. Just hit me with a DM. And Jesus is saying, this one, that one that you're thinking about right now, that's only gonna happen by prayer and fasting. And the reason it hasn't happened yet is because there was not prayer and fasting. So what is prayer and fasting? It sounds like church talk, I know, but I think it helps if we really actually know what we're talking about. And prayer, talk about the two sides of this rhythm. Prayer is simply a lifestyle, a rhythm of leaning towards God. Prayer is not giving God a to-do list. That is not prayer. Dear Lord, please work this out, change her mind, come through on this, stop that, start that, 2.30, 2.30, don't forget 2.30. We're, we're going to be at Mercy Hospital. He's like, oh, Mercy? Oh, thanks for reminding me. Dr. Ebenezer, I, I know Dr. Ebenezer. I made him. I know who's doing the surgery. I don't need information. Oh, wow, that would shorten a lot of our prayer life, by the way. Lord, my sister is having a procedure today. No kidding. <laughs> Meredith? 
The jaw thing? And he's like, how long? How long? How long are we going to do this? How long are we going to do this? Where you don't just look up and go, God, you know everything. You certainly know about Meredith today. So God, I trust you. I'm believing you today for Meredith. I'm counting on you today for Meredith. Why would I sit here and tell you what's happening today? Because you already know what's happening with Meredith today. You don't know the doctor's name. You know the, the nurse's name. You know the anesthesiologist's name. You know the prep team's name. You know the custodian's name who changed the sheets on the bed. You know everything there is to know about everything. So prayer isn't me giving you a to-do list. Prayer is me leaning towards God with my life. Even the Greek word in this verse starts with the, 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 words, pro, the word pros, the, the, the preface that's what I was looking for. Pros. Pros means to lean toward. So the very word for prayer in this verse means lean toward God. And what do we do when we lean toward God? We do three things. We lean towards who God is. That's where we start, not here's what I need you to do. But we lean toward who God is. We lean towards who we are in him and who he is in us. And thirdly, we lean towards what God says is true about our lives. And without that, this one is not going to come out. Without a rhythm of leaning in, God, I need to remember and refocus on who you are. God, I need to get a new view of who I am in you. God, I need to hear again today who I I am in you and who you say that I am and what you say that I can do through you. I need to lean toward you. Romans 12 says it this way. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your, say it with me if you know it, the renewing of your mind. See, your freedom is not about the size of your bicep. Now, don't get distracted by this when we're talking about this, okay? <laughs> you asked your friend, why did Louis wear a jacket today? Because I didn't want you to get sidetracked right now in the middle of God bringing freedom to your life. You're welcome. Your freedom isn't resting on your bicep, how strong you are or think you are. Your freedom is resting on the five inches between here, your brain. So we, you don't need to pump up your might. You need to change your way of thinking. We are transformed not by pumping up our bicep, but by renewing our brains. So that then, the verse says, we might prove what the will of God is, that good and perfect will of God. Then we can walk in and through the iron bars that Jesus cut. Then we can walk out of and over the bronze gates that Jesus knocked down. Then we can uh, receive the treasure that was stolen from us that God wants to restore back into our lives for his glory because he's calling every one of us today by name. And this happens when we renew 
our minds, and that happens when we lean towards God. And if that's not a rhythm in our lives, this one's not coming out. Fasting, on the other hand, if prayer's leaning towards God and leaning toward the voice of God, fasting is leaning away from the voice of the world. Fasting is saying, I can't breastfeed on the world and then grow up and be like Jesus. Hello? I'm not a child of this world. I'm a child of God. And fasting is the acknowledgement that I have to make a break at times. We're not hitting the eject button. None of us are trying to exit the world. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. And that's what fasting is. It's not something you do once a year or once a lifetime or if you're really, really spiritual. It's a rhythm. I lean into God in prayer and I lean away from the voice of the world by fasting. You say, well, how do I fast? Well, how's going to be good for you and when's going to be good for you to disconnect from the voice of the world? Because as much as we want to see who God is, see who we are in him, be reminded of what he says is true about our lives, when we fast, we want to stop being preoccupied by what's happening in the world. We want to stop listening to what the world says is true about our lives. And we want to stop listening to what the world says we can do. And so you got to, you got to shut the phone off. You got to, you got to shut social media down. You've got to say, Hey, for the next three weeks, I'm going to turn off Netflix and turn up the voice of God in my life. I, for me, I'm going to knock out XYZ food or XYZ drink or XYZ thing because I want to create some space where I can lean away from the voice of the world and lean toward the voice of God. This one's only coming out, Jesus said, by prayer and by fasting. There is no silver bullet, people. This is what it is. And this is the opportunity that is right in our hands today. It can't happen in a second. It's, it can't happen by raising our hands in the response time today. Oh, I'm leaving unbelief and I'm walking in belief. Some of you have been walking in unbelief so long, it's become a way of life. But God wants to change your mind. He wants to renew your mind, transform your expectation for your life by changing the way you think about him and the way you think about you. And that is a process and a rhythm of leaning, 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 leaning away, leaning in, leaning away, leaning in. And I'm telling you, we did that whole rewind and, and I'm not going to take you all the way back. But as we rewound, we went over this verse in Mark chapter one, verse 35. Listen, very Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So when he fast forward comes to Mark 9 and says, here's how this one comes out. He's like, oh, yeah, you know where I've been all these mornings? You know where I've been all these evenings? You know, every time you've come and looked for me, Peter, and tried to find where I was, I was leaning into God. 
and leaning away from the world so that when I walked back into this environment, which was crowded and congested, I had clarity and confidence in what God could do. And here's how you know you've been leaning in and leaning away. Here's how you know. The leading phrases of your life change. They change from what is normal for you and me, leading phrase, I wish we could set an alarm that every time these words come out of our mouth for the next seven days, an alarm would go off and we'd just be like, okay, yeah, right. Got to back up, rethink. Every time these words are our leading words and here they are, the two leading phrases from people not leaning in and leaning out are, I feel, Debbie, thanks for meeting me today. I know it's hard for you to get here with traffic. Listen, I just got to tell you, man, I'm going through it. What is going on? I just feel X. Man, this one doesn't look like it's going to get worked out, Louie. I'm telling you, this one is not going to happen. I'll tell you. Do you mind if I tell you what I think? You got a second, so I can tell you what I think. And we somehow have been duped by the enemy into thinking that we have the wisdom to work through dilemmas like freedom from chains. And we're up and down with God's ability based on whether we slept good or we're irritated or we liked our lunch or we took our meds or we're happy or sad or high or low or, and man, I'm telling you, our feelings are like jello. It's like saying, God, I'll trust you if my feelings are really good today. And he's like, why don't you lean into me and then we'll tell the feelings, get on board. Why don't you lean away from the world and then we'll tell the feelings, get on board. Why don't we lean into who I am, into who you are in me, into what I say is true about your life, into what I say you can do in and through me. And then we'll just say to the feelings, hey, did you hear all that? Great. We're reorganizing the plan right now around this. We're not holding jello in our hand going, man, God is so good. Hope it doesn't get any hotter in here. He's going to be running down my arm good. I feel, man, would it be cool if an alarm went off every time we said that? Man, did you hear what happened? I know, I feel. It's not to say God doesn't want you to have feelings. You understand. We got we to gotta see a replacement, a transformation happen. You know what those phrases get replaced by when you're leaning in and leaning away? They get replaced by, I know and I believe. I know and I believe. Oh, yeah, I've seen the circumstance. I read the paper. I've heard the news. I got the memo. I was on the phone call. I have all the details, but let me tell you something. I know something. I know someone. I am confident in this God whom I have believed in. I am confident in his word that he has spoken to me. I know who he says I am, and I know what he says I can do. I know, and therefore I believe. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and I believe. I know, but I believe. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but my default is not doubt. My new framework is faith. And I believe. You know what that looks like as a parent? It looks like different things in all circumstances, but I'll tell you one in particular, because we're talking about this man and his boy. And I love this man, by the way, and I'm praying his prayer today. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And he's saying, okay, I want to help it. Are you ready? Prayer and fasting. Are you ready? Here here comes the help for your unbelief. Lean in, lean out. And when that happens, things change. And as a parent, something happens to your child, 
You get a diagnosis from the doctor. And I'm not saying there's a demon in every story in our lives. I do believe the power of the enemy is at work all around us. But I don't believe everything's a demon. If your car battery died, I don't think you need to cast demons out of your car and sprinkle holy water over the hood of your car. You probably just need to go down to Napa and get a new battery. I mean, if you do want to name the name of Jesus while you put it in, that's awesome. And then Carl crank and you go, hallelujah, I knew that was going to happen. Everything in the world isn't a demon. But there is power from hell all around us. Something happens to your child, like to this child, or something else wanders away, gets stuck in a thicket, gets put behind bars, gets stuck behind a bronze gate, gets God's best snatched away, turns away from God, turns away from you, turns away from truth. And as a parent, it wouldn't be awesome if you could just step in and say, I know who I believe. And you know what I'm going to do? First, first is not default to doubt. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, my word. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But what if our first response was, I take authority over the life of my daughter in the name and the power and the blood and the finished work of Jesus Christ. I stand right here right now as a first response, and I take authority in Jesus' name. And that's not a silver bullet. We all have experienced loss. But what it does is it changes our mindset. And it lets us know right from the beginning that our confidence and our hope is in an unshakable God. And we all have that story today. Yes, there was a day that it didn't work out the way that we hoped it would work out. But can I tell you the truth? And you can back me up. Even in that day, God came through for us. There was a day that even ended in death and we went to the gravesite. But in that moment, we still knew Jesus had overcome the grave. There are things that happen in our lives that we don't see coming, but there isn't one of them that God God didn't use to set us free and to move us forward and to advance us into the person that he wanted us to be. He takes the worst and he brings the best. And I don't care what happens in our lives when it's all said and done, when there is no time left on the clock. I don't care what we've walked through, what we've endured, what we have seen. We win in the end. In the end. We win in the end. With Jesus, we win in the end. There is no height, nor depth, no past, no present, no angels, nor demons can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you are encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast. Hey there, my name is Jason Diba, and if you're a fan of the Passion City Church podcast, which is what you just listened to, then you should check out the Passion Podcast. There were protocols apparently you were meant to follow at that moment, but there was a contingent of people 
who saw the old meat taste better than the new meat in your life. It was as if someone set my hair on fire. One of those people would be David Crowder. And that was the last time I led in a wrestling ring. Okay, let's see if we can make it happen. Up-close interviews with Louis Giglio, Christian Stanfill, artists, speakers, culture makers, and more. Relationships are more like sailing a ship than building a desk from Ikea. It's not just our freedom that's at stake. It's God's glory that's at stake. Surrender is the path to greatness in the kingdom of God. We do the outrageous things because we believe there's an extraordinary gospel. The college generation singing at the top of their lungs to Jesus. And that's why Goliath must fall. Go ahead and search and subscribe now to an all-new season of the Passion Podcast.